I was a uh, practicing clinician working in a home health agency model. I wasn't allowed to dose my patients as per best practice guidelines. So I said, there's gotta be a way to do this better. My, my grandmother and my grandfather, I started seeing them going in and out of long-term care. It started personal seeing the sick side of 80, and now it's been exciting to be part of Fox. Light bulb moment, like that's a complete game changer. You can see what we can do as a practice and as treating clinicians to really make 80, 85 look so much different than it did back that long ago. And boil it down into one say, it's quite simply this, it's be stronger, live better longer. Welcome to Fox Rehabilitation's Live Better Longer podcast, the podcast dedicated to clinicians who work with older adults. My name is Jim Shear, and today I am joined by Fox Rehabilitation occupational therapist, Jacqueline Butensky. Jacqueline, welcome. Hi, Jim. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm glad that you uh, you suggested this. this. Yeah, me too. I love sleep. It's like one of my favorite topics ever. Who, so. who doesn't love sleep? Right. So I, I love this topic because I feel like I can learn a lot in this podcast. So selfishly, <laughs> um, that's why I'm thrilled that you're on today. Yeah, I hope you get some good tips. Yes. Yeah, so today we're going to talk about sleep hygiene. So we always start very basic on the Live Better Longer podcast because I don't know where people are coming in. You know, maybe there's an expert on sleep hygiene that's listening or maybe... You know, there's a, a young clinician who doesn't know anything about sleep hygiene. So first question is, Jacqueline, what is sleep hygiene? So sleep hygiene is all of the things we do to prepare for sleep and promote a good nighttime sleep. Um, that can involve your routine during the day, what you do right before bedtime, what your physical sleep environment looks like. So you can have good sleep hygiene or poor sleep hygiene. Um, and there are some habits, you know, that can influence good sleep hygiene, such as are you exercising during the day versus do you have a sedentary lifestyle? Um, what do you do right before bedtime? Are you reading and preparing for sleep in like a calm way? Or are you scrolling through your phone? You know, does your physical sleep environment look like? Is it dark and calm and quiet? Or is it, you know, more uh, noisy? Do you have too much light coming in? All those things can affect uh, good versus poor sleep hygiene. All right. So let's break it down. Mm -hmm. So what are indications? Because you're, you're out there treating older adult patients. What are indications that someone may have poor sleep hygiene? So some of these could involve difficulty falling asleep, staying asleep, uh, getting up frequently during the nighttime, taking a lot of naps during the day. Um, it can have an impact on your mood, like irritability, um, and potentially getting sick more often because sleep helps our immune system functioning as well. Of course, there might be other reasons why you are getting sick more frequently, but you know, sleep can definitely affect our overall health and well-being. So Jacqueline, as a clinician, how do you sort of piece that together? Are you like, wow, like you're really cranky today. So <laughs> how, how, how do you piece together? Because obviously you're not there with them when they're sleeping at night. So how mm -hmm. can you deduce that they have poor sleep hygiene? 
Right. So um, it's something that my patient might directly bring up to me. I often will address the topic, even if it hasn't been brought to my attention, um, by asking just general questions about their sleep. You know, clinicians can use sleep questionnaires, or I like to ask objective questions such as how many hours a night are you sleeping? How long does it take you to fall asleep? Um, what does your pre-bedtime routine look like? So those are kind of some ways to figure out their sleep habits and whatnot. This is why you're a good clinician. You're asking those <laughs> questions. So naps, what's the Mm -hmm. consensus on naps, good or bad? I think it depends on the person. Personally, um, if I take like a 10, 15 minute recharge nap, then I'm good to go for the rest of the day. Um, If you're getting into that like prolonged deep sleep, then it could have a negative impact on um, your sleep cycle. If you're sleeping too often during the day, um, or if you're taking a very long nap. So I think that generally the recommendation is to try to stay away from naps. But if it's not possible, then um, just those shorter kind of boosts of energy um, with a short nap, I think can be beneficial. All right. So this is a question that I've debated for years with different Mm -hmm. friends and family members. What is the perfect amount of time for a nap? The perfect amount of time uh, for me, I think everyone's different. So like for me, it would be a 15 minute nap. Okay. Because I Um, read, this was years ago, I read and it it made perfectly good sense to me. 25 minutes is the sweet spot because it's before you enter that REM sleep. So it's a perfect recharge, but anything more than that, you get into that deep sleep and it can mess you up later in the day. Right, exactly. Yeah, right. 25 minutes sounds solid. I'm so, sure there's some research, as you said, backing that. <laughs> can you uh, can you text my wife? Yeah, I'm texting her right now. Because <laughs> <laughs> she's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, no, like 25 minutes. She's like, nah, like that doesn't make sense. I'm like, it makes all the sense in the world. So we're saying today, not that I want you to <laughs> prove my wife wrong, but like 15, 25, maybe a half hour, that's like the perfect time for a nap. Yeah, because if you're getting into that deep sleep, then you're disturbing your internal clock. You know, it, it kind of just throws off that clock in general. And then by the time you do try to go to sleep, um, it's kind of out of whack. So there we go. Yeah. It makes sense because I remember in college, I would take two and a half hour naps and it just wrecked me. And I thought, I'm never doing oh, this yeah. again. Yeah, you're going to be up all night. Okay. So how important are routines in sleep hygiene? Routines are so important. Um, We kind of touched on it a little bit, like uh, going to bed and waking up at the same time. Let's let's break it down. So we gave the the perfect time Mm -hmm. for a nap. Now, what is the perfect routine? And we know it may differ from person to person, but ballpark, Mm -hmm. what is the perfect routine for a good sleep hygiene? So the perfect routine for good sleep hygiene would be, you know, I mean, it does depend on the person. Like as an OT, we want to get to the root of, you know, what does their sleep routine look like? I would say like the perfect routine doesn't really exist, <laughs> but like some All right, things so how about everyone- How about a good routine then? A, a solid, a solid routine. Like, a good routine would be exercising during the day, like getting um, a good amount of activity, keeping healthy routines, eating um, healthy food during the day, making sure that you're limiting your caffeine intake to, you know, hours before bed or just limiting caffeine intake in general. So wait, this um, is so this, this is good for my parents. When should mm-hmm. they cut off the caffeine? At what time? 
most people say um, in the afternoon, like you don't want to be uh, drinking coffee after, you know, I th- morning is the best time for your caffeine. Right. And then it, after that. But if someone, if someone off. loves their, their Coca-Cola, when, <laughs> when should they cut that off? We're, are we talking like two o'clock, three o'clock, four o'clock? Yeah. I mean, I would say, you know, honestly, everyone is different too, in terms of their caffeine intake. Like I can have a whole cup of coffee and then I can go to sleep five hours later and I'm fine. But I know people who are like, I had one cup of coffee this morning and I never drink <laughs> coffee and I could not sleep. So, you know, it depends, but okay, I would that say makes like that early, that early afternoon time, like 12, one o'clock. And then I read too, where it's good to have a fixed time of when to go to bed and when to wake up. Yeah, that's definitely important. Um, it again, it helps like reinforce our internal clock. And, you know, by going to bed and waking up at the same time, it trains our brain and tells us when it's time to settle down and um, when it's time to get up. And I was also reading about a 30 minute wind down period. Do you know what Mm -hmm. do you know what that is? And can you take us through that? Yeah. So um, your wind down period um, should be kind of routine and consistent from night to night. And, you know, some people might wind down with a nice book. Um, Some people might like listen to music, um, do a meditation. So those are some good ways to wind down as opposed to like being on your phone and being exposed to a lot of blue light or, you know, watching TV as you're getting into bed and falling asleep. So scrolling through your cell phone moments before you go to bed, maybe not the best thing to do, correct? Correct. All right. I mean, we're all, I'm guilty of it. We've, <laughs> we've all been there. We all do it. Like I'm not perfect, but it definitely sets off this. It exposes us to light that we should not be exposed to before we go to bed um, because we're supposed to kind of wake up to that light to start um, the day. And, you know, it, it makes it more difficult to wind down. I Yeah, I also heard about that too. It's good to go out and get sun throughout the day and that actually helps you sleep at night. Yes. And what is, isn't it called like the mercurial cycle or something like that? Where it's like our bodies, we wake up with the sun and then we go to bed as the sun goes down. Yeah, I'm not sure of the term of it, but you know, it sounds like you're onto something. So <laughs> you're like, I'm not going to co-sign that term because you probably said it wrong. But yeah, I get the gist of what you're saying. So, Jacqueline, what is the OT's role in sleep hygiene? Yeah, so um, sleep is an activity of daily living. From an OT perspective, I like to view my patients holistically. um, And it's likely if a patient is getting poor sleep, it's affecting their ability to fully participate in their daily activities. It could make it more difficult to take care of finances, go to the grocery store, um, do laundry, things like that. So um, as OTs, we want to get to the root of what's impacting their performance during the day. And if we discover that sleep that's limiting them, then we need to figure out why someone is having difficulty sleeping and try to address it through whatever interventions we can come up with. Yeah. What kind of interventions would you do? So say you meet with a patient and you do find out that they're not having good sleeps at night. How do you correct that? Mm -hmm. 
So something I really like doing is having patients keep a sleep diary so they can track um, how many hours of sleep they're getting and how long it takes for them to fall asleep. And you can also see their habits during the day um, where they can track like their mood, how much coffee they had, or if they had any caffeine, um, what their activity looked like. And then we can kind of connect the dots and see if there are relationships between their sleep difficulty um, and their daily routine. Um, and then some other things we can do are just, um, you know, if we notice they're not getting a lot of activity during the day, promoting um, a home activity program, assessing their physical uh, sleep environment. So, you know, are their shades like open when they're trying to go to sleep? Is there too much light coming in? Um, assessing the physical environment is uh, super important. And I love that we're in that physical environment so we can see what adjustments could be made to facilitate their sleep. There are so many things we we can do. Something else is, um, you know, if a patient's having a lot of pain, we can look at what their positioning is like at night and um, facilitate a better position for decreased pain and um, better sleep. Because sometimes it's just yeah. the right positioning. Maybe put them on the side, put a pillow between their legs, like find that perfect mm -hmm. sweet spot. All right, Jacqueline, I'm going to give you a little scenario. Help me through this. So you go okay. to bed. And you're like, I can't get to sleep. Five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. You're adjusting positions. What do you do in that situation? Do you keep adjusting yourself to find that perfect position to fall asleep? Or do you just say, it's not going to happen right now? It depends on... I guess why you're why you're adjusting your position constantly. Um, you know, some of my patients uh, might have too many thoughts racing in the night, and that might be making it difficult to fall asleep. Maybe that's why it's so difficult. Um, so you know, doing some breathing or um, meditation could facilitate that. So whatever the reason is that they are turning and tossing, um, we can figure out kind of why and then address that. But you should, you're saying you should do something if you're tossing and turning. Yeah. I mean, if like racing thoughts are the reason, then like kind of, you know, sitting up in bed, doing some deep breathing, or maybe there's noise on and, you know, shutting off the noise. Maybe there's like too much air coming in through your window and like you're too cold or something like, put, you know, like kind of getting up and figuring out what's going on, but definitely not like turning on the lights or trying to stay awake. We should be trying to get back to sleep in some capacity. And then what's the, um, what's the rolling on alcohol before you go to bed? Yeah. So that would definitely be a negative impact on your sleep, even though alcohol sometimes seems like it's going to facilitate a better sleep because you're more drowsy and whatnot. It actually kind of disturbs um, that sleep cycle and can result in waking you up at an earlier hour. So avoiding that um, right before sleep is important and it's it's not going to help you sustain um, a good night's sleep. That's good to know because a lot of people, they may have <laughs> wine to maybe mm -hmm. help them wind down and get a little tired, but you're saying that right. that's not good to have late at night. No. All right, so here's something I wanna know, Jacqueline. When you bring this up with your patients, are they ever surprised? Mm -hmm. Because to me, it seems like this could be easily overlooked. Maybe they think mm -hmm. that it's something else, but you're like, no, 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 no. Like, it's really basic. You just need to get to sleep at night. So are mm -hmm. they surprised when you bring up the concept of sleep hygiene? 
Yeah, a lot of my patients are surprised. um, And they'll say things like, oh, you can help address this in therapy. And I'm like, yeah, we can definitely address that as occupational therapists. Um, And I would say that like perceptions of sleep vary significantly between my patients. So some of my patients already are aware, like it's not good that I'm not sleeping, um, but might just need some help figuring out why and what habits to incorporate. And some patients I find write it off and say like, I've always been fine on four to five hours. Um, And that's when education comes into play and further, you know, discussion might reveal that this person um, has poor sleep hygiene and Um, is actually very fatigued during the day. So bringing light to the importance of that um, and discussing, you know, the benefits of good sleep and the um, negative effects of poor sleep could help. All right. So let's take a quick break. More with Jacqueline Butensky right here on the Live Better Longer podcast. All right. So as we take a quick water break, And who knows, since we're talking about sleep hygiene, maybe some of you are taking a power nap right now. Whatever the case, just a reminder that on Thursday, November 9th, Fox Rehabilitation will be hosting another virtual game day event. It will be broadcast live on Facebook Thursday, November 9th, 10.30 a.m. East, 9.30 a.m. Central. The goal is to get all of our senior living community partners to gather up some residents in the activities room and to watch the live broadcast. Uh, Myself and our compliance officer, Megan Henninger, we will ask 25 trivia questions. You can play as a team. You can play by yourself. And the goal is to have fun and see how well you do. Back by popular demand. We had the first one during National Assisted Living Week. And there were a bunch of people who said, do it again, do it again. So we're doing it again in November. We're going to do it again in December. And then we have some dates lined up for 2024. So if you would like to RSVP, it's very simple. Go to Fox Rehabilitation's Facebook page. Go under the events section and simply RSVP. Say yes, I will attend on Thursday, November 9th. 10.30 a.m. East, 9.30 a.m. Central. We are back on Fox Rehabilitation's Live Better Longer podcast. I am chatting with Fox Rehabilitation occupational therapist Jacqueline Butensky, who treats older adult patients in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. Do you live in Brooklyn? I do. I'm in Brooklyn Heights. All right. Uh, I like to talk about hobbies and or pizza mm-hmm. on the Live Better Longer podcast. <laughs> so would you like to talk about hobbies or pizza? Uh, let's talk about pizza. <laughs> You're like, pizza is my hobby. All right. <laughs> Best pizza in Brooklyn, in your opinion? Oh, my gosh. That is a great question. Um, or, actually- or a pizza that you like. Maybe not the best, but you're like, yeah, this is my go to. Yeah, I am a big fan of Prince Street Pizza. Mm, all right, that which which is not in Brooklyn. It's in Manhattan, but I'll allow it. It is. Um, so I actually moved to Brooklyn in November. So we're we're still just. I was in Manhattan <laughs> for five years before this. So okay. um, we'll we'll figure out and navigate, and I'll let you know what the best pizza in Brooklyn is. You're still scouting <laughs> it out. Pizza. Do you have one yeah, that you currently pizza. like though? Um, I mean, there's just like a little walk-in, like divey, just like a pizza spot down the block. 
actually not sure of the name of it, but that that's been my go-to pizza spot recently. Okay, but right now, if there was a, a Fox clinician who was visiting New York City or a friend, you would say uh, Prince Street is the place to go. Yeah, let's go with like Prince Street. Um, Joe's is really good too. Joe's, so Joe's, for those that don't know, it's like the classic New York City slice. Prince Street is a square pizza, a little puffier, has a little more sauce, but the lines are insane. Anytime you pass it, there's a super long line in front of Prince Street Pizza. Yeah, don't recommend going on the weekends. No, yeah, avoid it on the weekends. If you're passing by on a Tuesday afternoon at 2 o'clock, should be a shorter wait. Yes. All right. Well, Jacqueline, thank you. I, I learned a ton today. There's a lot of research that shows that um, good sleep is associated with better uh, health-related quality of life and that poor sleep can result in negative effects um, in the short term and the long term. So, you know, going a few days without a good sleep can impair your attention, thinking, reaction time, um, and long term uh, it can like increase your risk of developing chronic health conditions. So that's something I like to also just talk about um, with my patients who are already struggling um, with, you know, some kind of uh, health condition. All right. Well, Jacqueline, thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. For Jacqueline Butensky, my name is Jim Shear, and we will see Yins later. 